Hi, I'm Sandra Ackerman, Senior Editor at American Scientist Magazine. In our Pizza Lunch podcasts, we interview researchers who give lunchtime lectures at our headquarters in North Carolina. Terence Holt is a research associate professor in the Department of Social Medicine and a clinical assistant professor of geriatric medicine at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Unusually, he is also an adjunct assistant professor of English and comparative literature at UNC Chapel Hill, where he teaches courses on medicine and society and on the writing of autobiographical narrative. An award-winning author himself, Dr. Holt has published numerous articles and two books. Shortly before our interview, he had published his second book, titled Internal Medicine, A Doctor's Stories. I began our interview by asking Dr. Holt to talk about how he sees the intersection of narrative and medicine. I was very late going to medical school. I was in my 40s, one of the oldest people who'd ever enrolled in, in that particular program. I'd had a life elsewhere. I was struck powerfully by how different the reality of medicine was from what I had expected. It's a kind of work where you're actually required to be a better person than you are. What's behind that is a different reality than what people come to the hospital expecting if their expectations have been conditioned by television shows where things are resolved in a certain period of time and things are much more personal than they could ever be in an 800-bed hospital. People hospitalized for the first time going through this horrible realization that, oh my God, I'm just one of hundreds of people. And that's a bad thing to realize when you're sick and vulnerable. Over and above that, we're in the middle of this huge upheaval in the relationship between medicine as a profession and our society as a whole. And that's not going to come out well for anybody if people enter into it with an unrealistic notion of what medicine is, what's possible. What it comes down to for me in the end is that everybody involved in this project is human and often engaged in a really inhuman task, inhumanly hard, inhumanly stressful. That's an important thing to remember. And it often gets dropped out of the equation by everybody, including doctors. We often sell our own humanity short because it seems like something we can't afford to keep in sight. I came up with the title for the collection Internal Medicine about two-thirds, three-quarters of the way through writing the piece. I like being an internist. I think it's an honorable specialty. And also the double meaning of it in that it addressed the, the focus of the book on the narrator's internal development. He becomes increasingly sick at heart about what's going on. And a lot of times it's the patients who actually cure him one way or another. And I liked the title that could address all of that. I'm an internist, and internists are generally thought of in the hospital as the people who stand around outside the patient's doorway for half an hour dis discussing which antibiotic to give, which is true. Um, you hear this usually from people in specialties which pride themselves on being more incisive in their thinking. Sometimes wrong, never in doubt is a motto that you sometimes hear residents in surgery profess to believe in. But I think underneath all of that, we're all thinking as hard as we can and trying to keep in view what we're actually trying to accomplish, who this is for, I mean, what's at stake for the patient, 
If you're not aware of what your strengths and weaknesses are, if you think you have no blind spots, well then you're a very blind man indeed. One of the things that I try to get at in these stories and in my teaching generally is to get people to understand that they have to have an appreciation for what their own needs, desires, fears, the whole emotional morass out of which we do everything we do. We need to find a way of paying more attention to that aspect of our practice. And that's one reason why I spend a lot of time working in literature and medicine and ways in which the two can inform each other. I think literature is a wonderful tool, whether writing it or reading it, to develop a better appreciation of what it means to be human. I think of myself as a, a highly disciplined realist. I'm usually trying to get at some kind of truth. If the story is to cohere and make sense, it has to be honest in every sense of the term. And that's what I was trying to do even more so with these stories, because I really did want to give an accurate reflection of what the hospital experience, the residency experience is like, because I think it's hard to get that right. There are a lot of pressures that would push you to want to um, idealize yourself, make yourself into the hero, or to demonize some aspects of hospital care. And either way does a disservice to the reader who I think needs an accurate description of what this is like. On the other hand, I couldn't take actual people that I had taken care of and use them as the central figures in these stories. So I had to find a way of hewing to the truth and respecting the privacy of the people I take care of. But emerges as a hybrid form. It's not journalism. It's more historically faithful than most fiction is. But the, there was another aspect of the challenge of writing these things. The hospital is complicated. It's like a 32-track recording, and trying to make sense out of that is hard. And if you actually tried to do journalism about it, if you tried to, to do an actual chronology of a day in the hospital, it would be very long. It wouldn't make a lot of sense. What I've tried to do here is a condensation. And that's why I use the term parable to describe these stories. A parable is a story that implies a great deal more than it's actually saying. I want readers to be able to spend some time thinking about these stories and putting them together to find out what the experience meant. I wrote the stories in order to understand what had happened. For me, a story is an instrument for finding connections that allow me to understand what happened to me in that experience. A lot of people go through training, a process in which you don't have a moment to think about anything but the matter at hand. And at the end, possibly because they were so completely absorbed by what was happening, they find that a lot of stuff happened that they haven't had time to integrate to make sense of. There are patients, there are cases, there are episodes that just keep coming back and you're not quite sure why. I teach an autobiographical writing workshop to the medical students at UNC and one of the students had written a ghost story about a patient who was just haunting her. One of the students in the class said, you know, I think we're all writing ghost stories. These are all about things that just won't leave us alone until we've had a chance to think about them. Clearly, if a person you've taken care of is, keeps resurfacing in your memory, there's some business there you're not done with. In a way, it's honoring that patient, trying to honor that patient by making yourself a better doctor is one of the things you can do by, by stopping and going back and really making a determined attempt to be as honest with yourself as possible about what happened, you know, why you did what you did. That's something that I find writing narratives peculiarly well-suited to accomplish. If you're trying to put a story together 
and leaving anything out, it's going to be painfully obvious when it's in narrative form. It's a good way of finding the discipline to be honest with yourself about what you did in a very complicated and stressful situation. Writing about things is always, and I think ought to be, an act of discovery. You should exert your efforts on something that, where you, you need to figure things out. But also, if you think you know what an experience is about, it's either a trivial experience or you're wrong. One of the things I learned a long time ago was not to start with an idea. I start with a, a memory of a person, of a situation. Sometimes it's, when I'm writing just more straight out fiction, it can be as tenuous as a tone of voice overheard in another room. And just letting that, whatever it is that made that crop up in my consciousness, find its way out through the act of writing. It's a difficult process because it requires a lot of restraint and a lot of faith in your own ability. It's wonderful too because, I mean, you finally wind up surprising yourself. That's a source of ongoing joy for me in my work. A hospital is a funny place. In a lot of ways, it's like a small town. Everybody knows everybody else. And people tend to create caricatures about each other in, in circumstances like that. And there's a lot of not entirely serious um, stereotyping that goes on about the different specialties. As I said earlier, people talk about internists as being uh, perhaps inordinately ruminative. Um, everybody understands that these are just stories we tell each other. And I don't think anybody can be in medicine very long before you realize that stereotyping groups of people is just a mugs game. People choose specialties for a lot of different reasons. And one of the interesting and rewarding things about medical school is towards the last, last year or so, you start watching your friends choose what they're going to be. And in most every case, you go, oh, well, of course, that, that makes perfect sense. Some of the best advice I ever got early on in medical school was actually from my son's pediatrician who said, you know, you think it's all about the work you're doing, but it's actually about the people you're going to be working with. And I realized that the people I enjoyed spending time with and enjoyed watching them think were the internists, and that's one reason why I'm so happy to be one. When I started writing these stories, I just finished my residency, and for a six, seven-year period, I had thought that I had given up writing. If you're going to be a doctor, that's all you can be. This is the kind of thing you have to tell yourself if you're going to go to medical school in your 40s. The minute I had a little time to think, I found myself writing again, which surprised me, and initially I had no plan for it, and I was just happy enough to be writing the things. It took me about 10 years to finish the thing. I had a lot of time to consider just what it was I was doing, what it meant. And one of the things that I was very curious about was how my peers would receive it. Would the people that I trained with, the people I worked with, would they read it and feel that I had done justice to the work we do? Because for me, in a lot of ways, I think of this as a love letter to my profession. It's maybe not a love letter you'd like to receive because it's got the warts and everything. I got a much greater appreciation out of the work we do from writing this. It's been an object of ongoing curiosity. It's an ongoing question for me. What does it mean for a doctor to write about doctoring? Are you writing for a general audience? Well, sure, but you're also to some extent writing for other doctors. And what effect are you hoping to have? You can talk about aesthetics and art for art's sake, and that's all very good, but most people who write are hoping to have some effect. And that's one of the ways in which writing is like doctoring. There is some reforming impulse in most of us who write about the profession. 
Shelley says the poet is the unacknowledged legislator of mankind. I don't know. I don't know if I'd like to claim to be a legislator at this point, but you believe that art shapes culture and culture shapes a lot of other things. I don't believe in revolutionary change as something that we can actually achieve. So if you're going to affect any change at all, it's usually kind of provisional and marginal. You just hope that over years, enough people working together can make the world a better place. This actually surfaced in the last story in the collection, a piece called The Grand Inquisitor, which is different from all the rest. It's set after the end of residency. The narrator has become a hospitalist working in a small town hospital. It takes place in the doctor's lounge of a hospital that's full of people on call because there's an ice storm going on and they've all come in because they know they're not going to be able to get there later on. And one old doctor, whom nobody can stand because he's such a bore, starts telling a story. It's a story about a lot of things. It's a story about a doctor telling stories to an audience of doctors and what effect that might have. So a lot of what goes on in the story is misunderstanding and projection and just missing the point. But in the end, it closes on a note of resigned optimism. People may not get it, and that just means you have to keep telling the stories again and again and again. This Pizza Lunch podcast was produced by web managing editor Katie Lee Corder. American Scientist magazine is published by Sigma Xi, the Scientific Research Society. The music is Spot by Ardent Octopus, courtesy of Mevio's Music Alley. For more podcasts and other multimedia content, visit our website at americanscientist.org slash science. Thanks for listening.